But here we are in Ephesians again, the New Testament book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 1. And uh, I want to say thank you again for choosing to worship with us this morning. Uh, I, I do not take it lightly. And every time I walk over here on a Sunday morning and I see folks starting to come in the parking lot, I just, I just get excited that we get to, uh, to worship the Lord this morning. Uh, to corporately, to corporately worship uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you again uh, for that. Uh, I truly believe that God's with this church, that God's with us. Uh, he's with us in this life in, in many ways, and even ways that we don't even recognize many times. Uh, most ways we probably don't recognize. But I believe He also truly desires to be our God. He desires to be our God, and He desires for us to be His people. And with that said, I'm, let's just jump right on the Word this morning, uh, right into Ephesians. And we won't... Well, let's just go ahead and read the entire chapter. It's only 22 verses, and we won't exhaust all there is here. We've already preached one message from Ephesians 1, Ephesians chapter 1. We'll preach another one this morning, and maybe one more. We'll see how the Lord goes. But look there at verse number 1. The Bible says, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He had purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in Him. Verse 11 says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in the world which is to come, and that and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to us, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. 
Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity, Lord, uh, to lift up your words, to lift up your truths this morning, to pray to you, to preach your word, Lord, to receive your word. Lord, we truly stand in awe and we want to season this moment, season our lives truly with prayer, Lord. Help us to see your words for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we go through this chapter, uh, it's clear if you if you really pay attention and read through it a couple times, you'll see there is a contrast between Paul representing the Jewish nation and us as Gentiles. And we won't get into all that here, but I think it's important to for you to see that. You can see right there in verse number 13, in whom ye also. So there's like a, a hinge there, if you will. But many of the things that Paul references about himself are true also of us, most of the things here. And we're going to talk about some of those things like that. But before we get to there, I want to give you just a little bit of an introduction about how we live in the life that we, in the, in the era, and the timeline that we live in right now. There's a lot of interesting things going on in the world today. And as we look at those things, it's easy, I think, to get discouraged. I mean, how, I mean, it could be very easy just to watch the news or even think about and contemplate what goes on in the world. And if we start focusing on those things and focusing on how we're going to react to those things, it's easy to get discouraged. I mean, from viruses to vaccines, from political turmoil to terrorism. I mean, we're trying to go to Israel here in, in, uh, in a couple months, and it's, it's not looking all that great over there. Now, we want to pray for Israel, not just so we can go visit them, but there's a lot of unrest in that area. People are giving their lives. So this, it's a bit must to take in sometimes. And for us as believers, as Christians, many of us, if we truly want what God wants, we long for a sweeping revival across the land. We want a revival that yields saved souls. We want a revival that regenerates a resurgence of morals even and godliness. We want that. But let's also be honest that most of us don't believe it's possible. We let go of those wishes or desires when we see what's going on in the world. Some of us believe the best days are behind us. There's Christians who believe the best days are behind us. The best days were 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. It's easy to get there. One American preacher put it this way. He said that some of us can remember a time when the churches were beautiful and in their glory, where many were converted and willingly declared what God had done for them. I mean, masses. He says, we remember that folks were added to the churches daily, such as should be saved. But today, it seems that true conversions, people that give their lives to the Lord, is becoming increasingly rare. He also says that we even look into the pulpits and we don't see the glory that was once there. It seems the special design of God's providence on his people is gone. The glory is gone. And again, as I continue, many modern day believers think our future is dim at best. I think we get there. It's easy to get there. But God has promised that his church will prevail. His church will prevail. You know, our future is as bright as that tomb is empty. We have a bright future. And the words from this American preacher that I just quoted to you, I paraphrased, they were written in 1702. 300 years ago, 300 plus years ago. Friends, millions of souls have been shaken and saved rather since 1702. And we have had revivals that have changed nations since then. I mean, think about all the, the great awakens. We have D.L. Moody and Charles Spurgeon and all these men that God used greatly. It is said of D.L. Moody that he personally 
like leading one-on-one has led over a million people to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not counting what, how God used His church. Now, we're not here to make a lot about D.L. Moody. We're here to praise the Lord. But I'm just saying that God is not finished. God is not finished. He's not finished with His church. He's not finished with, with this church. And He's not finished with us, with you. He's not finished. He has more for you. And even though God can operate independently, He so often chooses to operate through His people. He chooses to operate through people who put Him first. And two of the primary, re, uh, two of the primary ways I believe that we can put Him first is through praise and worship. Praise and worship. Now, in its simplest form, worship is defined as bowing our will to His. Worship, to worship is to obey. To praise, however, is a little different. It means to express respect, to express gratitude, to admire, to applaud, to lift up, to speak highly of, to adore, to venerate. We praise other humans all the time. Good job. Let's praise. God doesn't need our good jobs, but He does desire our praises. You know, the very last verse of the Psalms, Psalm 150, verse 6, says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. In fact, that whole chapter is written about praise. So today, this morning, I want to talk a little bit about praising God, but not so much the act of praising God. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 1 and give us some reasons why we should praise God. Some real good truths here that just really should motivate us to praise God. We serve a wonderful God. We serve a wonderful God. Now, with that said, I've, I've entitled this message this morning. I hope you can see that to the praise of his glory, the praise of his glory. You'll see that repeated a couple of times uh, in the passages here. And I want to read a couple of verses here again as we as we jump into this, this study of praising God. Look at verses. I'm just going to go through. Look at verse number three. And by the way, I've read these already, but three through 14 is all one sentence in the Greek. It doesn't even stop. It's like Paul didn't even pick his pen up. It's just all written, all wrote out. But verse three says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, get this, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Look at 5 and 6 again. What did He predestine us to be? Adopted. Adopted. We are, number one here, we are adopted to the praise of His glory. Now, adoption is a unique thing. It's, I believe, one of the greatest concepts in our, among humanity. Adoption. It's choosing to love someone who is not in your family and you don't even know them. Choosing to bring them into your family, not based on anything that child has done. Not based on their merit at all. People adopt for many reasons. Some because they can't have their own children. Some because they want more children. Some adopt out of the to help the, another family member, some just adopt, just to be a blessing to other people, to help people. They love other people. And all of those reasons are noble and honorable. And every one of them includes some level of love that is beyond our normal ability, beyond our expectations. But when it comes to our adoption into the family of God, the love 
required for that adoption, for our adoption. Friends, that's nothing short of agape love. To be adopted into the family of God. A love beyond all comprehension. God set out to adopt us even though we were not worthy. We were His enemies. We were content in our sinful state. And while we were yet sinners, He commendeth His love toward us. But because He is also a holy God, God couldn't just walk into a, an adoption facility, if you will, and just adopt folks. He couldn't do that because He's a holy God. Yes, as Christians, we are adopted into His family, but only by Jesus Christ. We had to be made holy first. We had to be born into that family before we could be adopted into that family. I know it's kind of redundant, but there's some reasons, some theological reasons for this. Notice verse 5 again. It says, we were predestined unto the adoption by Jesus Christ. In other words, there is no adoption in God's family without Jesus Christ. Listen, we are here to make much of Jesus Christ. And there is no adoption into God's family, no entering whatsoever. As a matter of fact, all the blessings that we get from God all come through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the door to our adoption in God's family. Praise God. Get that now. So it's Jesus. God the Father adopts us as children. And Jesus is like our elder brother. Our older brother if you will. So unlike any earthly adoption where siblings are not, evol not involved at all. Maybe, maybe if you have an older daughter or older son you might ask him hey. What do you think about little Johnny over there? He's drooling on his, on his whatever you gave him, you know. And, oh, we love him. He's cute. Let's adopt him. Well, Jesus is God, right? So unlike any earthly adoption where siblings are not really involved in that decision, Jesus traded places with us. In a sense, he orphaned himself so that we could be adopted. And that, that sinks in a little differently, I think. Notice that before Paul mentions adoption, he states that we should be holy and without blame. Well, how do we get to be holy and without blame? Only through Jesus Christ. Only happens by Christ. So by Jesus becoming man and by Jesus becoming our sin, he was forsaken on the cross so that we wouldn't have to be. He experienced death and separation to give us life, to give us eternal life. But as we talked about last week, when, when he put on those sin shackles, they didn't hold him. Death cannot hold him. The chains of death and separation cannot hold Jesus Christ. Yes, he endured the humility of a, as a man, the beatings and the crucifixion of the cross as a man. But when he walked out of that grave, he proved also that he was God. And all of that to the praise of the glory of his grace. You know, praise God for the cross. If you could say amen at all this morning. Amen to the cross. We have a resurrected Savior. Praise God to the praise of the glory of His grace. Praise God again for the cross. Praise God for our adoption. What's the last verse of Psalm say? Psalm 150, verse 6. What is it? Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Before we move on from adoption, though, I want to, I want to reemphasize some things. I want to reemphasize the fact that believers are the ones who are being predestined. It is the believers are being predestined unto adoption. 
In other words, predestination has to do with what God has ordained. It's usually to event on a purpose or status. Get this. Romans 8.29 says believers are predestined to be conformed to the image of a son. Believers are predestined to an inheritance, which we'll read here in a moment. And believers are predestined to an adoption. Jesus Christ was clearly predestined for the cross. I say that to say this. Unlike any earthly adoption, we are not adopted into the family of God. We are adopted, but we are not adopted into the family of God. We are born into the family of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is believers who are then predestined to adoption. Adoption is again a status that God gives to those who are born again. It's for those who have trusted Christ as Esther has. She's adopted now into the family of God because she has been predestined as a believer to be adopted into the family of God. The question is, have you trusted Christ? I know we're at a, fam- a group of believers here and I've heard the majority of your, your testimonies, but not all. Are you in the family of God? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Do you have a no-so salvation? God has paid it all. You don't have to pay anything. It's just receiving by faith. If you are, know that your precious adoption came at a high cost. And that it was according to the good pleasure of His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace. To the praise of the glory of His grace. And with our adoption into the family, though, comes many blessings comes in an innumerable amount of spiritual blessings. Actually, look at um, verse number three. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings? All of them. We don't just get some spiritual blessings. We get all of them. We can't talk about all those things this morning, but we can look at a few. Look at verses 11 and 12. The Bible says, In whom, that's of course Jesus Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So we are adopted into the praise, to the praise of his glory and we are joint heirs to the praise of the glory of God. Verse 11 again begins with in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. The word inheritance it means exactly what we think it would mean. It means a possession or a privilege. I mean, if, if I were a millionaire and I would leave some things to my children, they would inherit those things. That's what an inheritance is. We, we all know these things. A possession or maybe even a privilege or a status. In other words, in Christ we have obtained a heavenly position, status, inheritance. In Christ and only because of Christ do we get this inheritance. So as... As those, you and I, who have trusted Christ, we are not only adopted into God's family, we are predestined to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ into the only eternal family. It is the only eternal family. There is no other family you're going to get into that you might get up there and be hanging out. Oh, there's God's family. There's only one, and that's God's family. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children than heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Because of the incarnation, because of the cross, because of Jesus Christ, we have a heavenly heritage. Our Father, who owns the cattle upon a thousand hills, has chosen to bless us. He's chosen to bless us beyond comprehension through Christ. 
I mean, think about God. Think about what we our limited knowledge of God. He has blessed us with a heritage like no other. There is no other heritage you can compare this to. As a matter of fact, if we were to compare our inheritance with God, and this is kind of a silly comparison, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it anyway. If we were to compare it to our retirement plans in this world, uh, it, would, it would be the only plan where we wouldn't pay a dime into. No time, no money, no nothing. Nor could we lose it in a volatile stock market. There's no watching the stock market to see if we're going to lose our internal inheritance. It's not going anywhere. In fact, it would be the only plan that we'd be invested in right from the beginning. Faith in Christ, you're invested in the story. A plan that is literally out of this world. <laughs> to which nothing else compares. It is a divine plan. Peter put it this way. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, get this, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Friends, to the praise of God's glory, we have an eternal, undefiled, incorruptible inheritance reserved for us in heaven. This is God who made a reservation. It wasn't us making a reservation for some um, the Mediterranean restaurant down in Parsburg, who probably doesn't even take reservations right now. This is God who put our reservation in place. It's not going anywhere. It's uncorruptible, undefiled. And much like the Queen of Sheba, if y'all remember that, in the Old Testament, she heard all about King Solomon's wisdom and his treasures and his riches and all those things. And she finally made the trip to go to Jerusalem. And what does she say? The half has not been told. When we get to heaven, we're going we're gonna to react in a very similar uh, response. The half has not been told to us. The half has not been told to us. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Paul writes there again, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for him that love them. Amazing. And while we can't on our own fathom the greatness of heaven, the greatness of our inheritance, Jesus does give us a glimpse. He gives us a glimpse of some of these things. In John 14, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye Maybe also. Now, many times we read this. I've been reading that since I was small, right? Many of us have probably read that many times. And I wonder through those years what those mansions will look like. Will my mansion be a one room cabin? I'm okay with that. Would it be some ginormous building somewhere? It doesn't matter. But I think about this if He created the world in six days, how long has He been preparing a mansion? A preparing a place for us to live? That's a long time. I know he's outside of time and all those things like that, but it took him six days to create this fallen world. He created it perfect, by the way. We kind of messed it up. But look at it. I mean, it's, even the rain is beautiful. <laughs> Amen. The farmers love it. We have a great God who has something in store for us that just, when we get to heaven and we're standing before God, maybe a, maybe a thousand years, you know, that side of heaven. We're living up there for a while. We're going to be, maybe, I'm just kind of, maybe kind of acting it out. We're going to be thinking, remember that time I was so stressed about this thing? Man, how silly was that? Look at this. Look at where I'm living. How silly it was to be worried about those things. But God gives us that peace today. The things that we do today and the things that we fret about mean nothing in eternity. Put our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing in this world that compares to what God has given us. 
Again, it doesn't matter where we live in heaven. The psalmist wrote in 84.10, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'm okay being a butler in heaven. I'll hold the door for y'all when y'all come in. Now, in context, as we look about, as we look and study this inheritance here, there is a, a very interesting another, another application from the text. And that application is that we are God's inheritance. We are his inheritance. Not, not we get to inherit some things from him, which is also true, but we are his inheritance. Notice verse 18. Paul prays for the Ephesians. He's praying for them to, to, to have their eyes opened, the eyes of their understanding to be enlightened. Verse 18, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. His inheritance in the saints. As mind-boggling as it might be, we are God's inheritance. I can't get my mind around that. We treasure him because he first treasured us. Through the cross, God inherited us. We are God's treasure. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth praises of him who hath called you out of darkness. And truthfully, Peter only quoted Exodus chapter 19. Moses goes to the top of the hill. Jesus, or God speaks to Moses there in, in verses 5 and 6. And he tells Moses to tell the people, Ye shall be a peculiar treasure. A peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Listen, folks, don't let anybody ever tell you, or don't let any circumstance ever lead you to believe that you are not worthy to God. We have value because God says so. End of story. We have value in God. There is something, and I want to be a little maybe political here. We have value from conception all the way to the grave. Life is valuable to God. It means something to God. He created this life, and only He has the authority to take this life. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you or another life are not valuable to God. We have value to God. You mean something to Him. You are His inheritance, His treasure, His treasure. What does Jesus say about treasure? Anybody remember? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We are God's treasure. God is here. God wants the best for us. If I can put it this way, we mean the world to God. You know, it's easy to see that the relationship between God the Son and God the Father is the greatest relationship between God and man. Easy. But in the Lord's priestly prayer recorded there in John 17, we learn that God loves us as much as he loves Jesus Christ. The love that he has between him and his son is the same love that he has between him and us. We are on par with God's love with Jesus Christ. Wow. We are adopted and he loves his adopted children just as if we were begotten children. You see, we have an eternal, eternal inheritance waiting for us in heaven. Yes, but we are his eternal inheritance. And this is all to the wonderful praise of his glory. And if you think that this inheritance and our intrinsic value only applies to believers, you'd be half right. 
But you can be all right just by believing. You can have it all. There was this old story. You probably heard it a couple times. This painter went into this store, big mansion, all these things. And it was this guy passed away and he left all his paintings, all the ones he's collected over his years from, I don't know, Rembrandt's and Picasso's. And I'm not I don't really follow paint, but all this all those fancy things in there. And there was this one paint that this, this the millionaire wasn't a painter. Anybody heard this story before? No, this millionaire wasn't a painter himself. He wanted to be. He wanted so much to be, but he couldn't do it. So he bought all kinds of things. But he painted a picture of his own son. It was not that good. It was very bad. I mean, the son looked at it. He's like, whatever. And, um, <laughs> but his son passed away before the father did. And that painting meant, something that meant a lot to that individual, to that man. And then when the man passed away, he says, have a great auction, have a wonderful auction, make it all, donate it to wherever, donate it to charity, whatever. But it starts with my painting. Whoever buys my painting, this is only known to the auctioneer, gets all of it, gets all of it. And they went up there and they went off for the auction or whatever. And it was, you know, 50 cents, two dollars, not much. Five dollars, auction closed. What do you mean the auction is closed? He says, whoever gets the sun gets it all. Gets it all. We have the Son. God has paid so much for us through, his, through the person of Jesus Christ. And when we accept Christ as His Savior, as our Savior, we get it all. We don't even know the, 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 the breadth and the depth and the height of what we're going to receive. But we know Him. We know Jesus Christ. We are adopted to the praise of His glory. We are inherited to the praise of His glory. And then notice verse 13 and 14 as we... Kind of come to a close here. Verse 13 says, In whom you also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. Friends, we are sealed to the praise of His glory. Not only do we receive an inheritance through adoption to God's family in Jesus, by Jesus Christ, but God chose to seal the deal, if you will, for eternity in this life with the Holy Spirit. And as I was putting this together, and even now, I don't know how to, how to get my mind around this. I don't know how to convey this truth. I don't think my preaching or anybody's preaching can get the emphasis across that God wants us to get hold of. So without being irreverent and from a human perspective, we are we who are in Christ, we clearly get the better end of the deal. From God allowing us to enter into his family exclusively by faith, even rejecting any work done on our part, not by works of righteousness. I paid for it. You don't pay for anything. I paid for it. He rejects all of those things for us to just accept by faith. It's beyond me. Think about the love, the caring, the incarnation, the cross, the grave, the conquering of death, the refusal to ever leave us, forsake us, on and on and on. The more we think about those things, that, like I mentioned that last week, I scarce can take it in. It's overwhelming what God has done for us. And in addition to all of those things, which we didn't even touch on barely, He chooses to seal us with the Holy Spirit. He chooses to impart Himself to take up residence with us, to take up residence within the heart of His children. He didn't have to do that. He didn't even have to adopt us. He could have just saved us and left it at that, but he did more and more. We are his treasure. 
In 2 Peter 1 4, God states that, or the Bible states that God has given us unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, partaker of his nature as believers. While being a divine partaker of God's nature is certainly a most wonderful and exciting truth, part of the thrust of the passage here in Ephesians chapter 1 is focusing on the sealing of that Holy Spirit. The Greek word used for seal is just that, as a seal, and, and it's what certain authorities use even today to guarantee the security of whatever is being sealed. Makes sense, right? Maybe, maybe your mind drifts back to a, an envelope and it's got the, you know, the seal onto it, the crest of the Inslee family. I don't have one of those, but it's got my backing onto it. And during Paul's day, the Roman seal was the most powerful seal on the earth, humanly speaking. Why? Because it was backed by the most powerful empire on the world, Rome. When Christ was crucified, the Bible states at the end of Matthew 27 that Pilate sent, a, sent Roman soldiers to the tomb. To seal the tomb. Same word. Same word. Same word in the Greek. But of course, praise to the praise of God's glory, that Roman seal was no match for the power of God. And God walked out of that tomb. And we will walk out of our tombs. As well as other believers walked into those tombs. Sealed by the most powerful entity on this planet. Door opened. Angels sitting there. What are you going to do about it? If you want to come in, come and go as you please. Most powerful nation in the world. No match for the almighty power of God. But our salvation is more secure than our Roman seal. Our adoption is sure. And in context, our inheritance is sure. It has been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And it cannot be broken because it is represented by the most powerful thing. The most powerful being ever. Now, there are many today, many believers, many Christians who believe that a true child of God can lose his or her salvation. Well, we won't stay here too long, but get this. God inspired Paul to use some pretty strong language here, proving otherwise. The truth of the matter is that we did nothing to earn our salvation and we can do nothing to keep it. To believe that we can maintain a right relationship with God on our works is nothing short of a works-based salvation. But we are not saved by, by works. We are saved by God's grace. And we are not saved by God's grace and then preserved by our own works. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work that way. Remember what Peter wrote? We have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. I mean, can you imagine if that was conditional? Okay, you have a conditional inheritance that's maybe undefiled, that's maybe incorruptible, that's maybe this, all based on your works. But there is nothing in the entirety of all of Scripture that bases our adoption or basic inheritance on what we perform in this life. Friends, it's all by the grace of God. All by the grace of God to the praise of His glory. Not by works, lest any man should boast. We cannot earn it. We cannot keep it. It is all by God. You know, why would God call the life that he gives to those who believe eternal? Why would he even use that word? Why didn't he just call it conditional? You have all these things, but it's conditional among your day-to-day -day living. Why would he call that life eternal? Why would he refer to our salvation as a birth like he did with Nicodemus? You know, we can't be unborn. It's a shocker, I guess. Why would he adopt us into his own family through Jesus Christ? Why would he send the cross? Why would he give us an undefiled inheritance that we could defile through our works? 
Furthermore, verse, verse 14 states that he chooses to seal us with the Holy Spirit as the earnest of our redemption. The Holy Spirit is the earnest. I hope that catches your attention. The earnest of our inheritance is the Holy Spirit of God. We who are the chosen, we who are the blessed, the redeemed, we are given the earnest. He chooses to give me an earnest. That boggles my mind. Shouldn't I be making a down payment for something? No. He gives me the earnest. Now, we know the definition of that. It's an advance payment used as a security to show the seriousness of promise to the full payment. Right. So God gives us he allows us to be divine partakers of his glory to let us know that what's ahead is greater than you can even imagine. God chose to show the security of his promise by giving us by sealing us with the Holy Spirit. You know, even in our culture, we use this terminology, especially when we purchase real estate. We have to give an earnest. And what is interesting that even in our financial culture, you know, the earnest money that is given Anybody ever bought a house? You get some earnest money, right? We put, even in Germany, right? You give earnest money. That money, is it refundable? It's not refundable. God has given us the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And if our financial institutions will say, you can't have your money back. It's unrefundable because I'm serious about making that purchase. How much more sure is the earnest of the Holy Spirit? Friends, we have eternal life. And that changes things. Eternal life, it changes things. To the praise of His glory, we have eternal life. We are sealed unto the praise of His glory. We are joint heirs unto the praise of His glory. We are adopted unto the praise of His glory. We are sealed with an inheritance. You know, and as we kind of come to a close, there is much to give God praise for. He is worthy. That American preacher back in 1702 he could not see what God had in store for the church. He couldn't see the future. So he focused on how God moved in the past and thought the best days were behind him. He was wrong. Well, we also cannot see the future, but we serve a God who can. We serve a God who does, who knows the end and from the beginning, the Alpha and Omega. We serve a God who is not willing that any should perish and a God who truthfully desires for us to praise his name. And I'm convinced that God wants a revival more than we do. God wants a revival more than we do. And while a revival for these things that we talked about earlier, the things of God, it always begins with him. Revival always begins with God. But he always uses willing vessels. He always uses willing vessels who seek his face. Willing vessels who praise his name, who make much of Jesus. Let's be those willing vessels. Amen. Let's see a revival in this church, in this community, around the world. Let's turn the world upside down. Maybe that's extravagant and that's too much. We serve God. He holds the world in his hand. He changed the world with 12 men. I think we're more than 12. Let's serve God. Let's be those vessels and let everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let us pray.